0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning that we have your word before us, that you, the holy and righteous God, would speak to people that are unholy, unrighteous, that have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed on many, many occasions. But Lord, through the grace shed in Jesus Christ, that through him you speak to people who do not deserve to hear your voice. We thank you for this and we pray that you may speak to us this morning as we read your word. May your Holy Spirit work upon our hearts so that we leave here this morning strengthened in the faith and excited to be a part of your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, work often prospers with decrees and commands that are given. In our backyard, we have been trying to grow some bushes up against the back fence so that uh, the neighbours, which is a block of apartments behind us, cannot look down into our backyard. We'd like some privacy, particularly uh, while Joshua's running around in the backyard, that people can't sticky-beak at all the stupid things that he's doing in the backyard. And so these trees have been there. They were planted when we first uh, got the house, when the church property um, first became the church property. And uh, we've been trying to help them grow as quickly as possible. And it's only been since we've made a couple of decrees, a couple of commands about what should be done with them, that they've really started to prosper. And the first decree was that we should fertilise them. We should put down some, some food for them so that they grow up more quickly. And the second decree, which I think has been particularly the heart of their prosperity in growth, has been that Joshua is not allowed to break branches off the trees. I think that has been particularly the best decree that we could have given in this situation so that the trees would prosper. The work of growing these trees and giving us a natural uh, wall of privacy would happen. And the work of the building of the temple of God, which we've been looking at for a number of weeks now in the book of Ezra, has also prospered through decrees being given, through commands being given so that the temple could be built. We've been looking at Ezra for a while now, and we looked at it for last year and then took a break and then come back to it. And so we see today this temple actually getting to its final stage. The temple is now completed. How did the Israelites get here? Well, uh, to give you a bit of an overview of Israelite history as to where Ezra fits in, to Israelite history. You remember back to Genesis, you've got Abraham there. Abraham has a son called Isaac. Isaac then has a son called Jacob, who becomes Israel. Israel then has twelve uh, sons, and those sons become the twelve tribes of Israel. They then spend some time in Egypt. In Egypt they are persecuted, they get called out of Egypt through the Exodus, come into the promised land. In the promised land they don't behave the way they should. They sin a lot. And God is very unhappy with them. So they're in Jerusalem, but they are not behaving the way God's people should. So then God brings judgment upon them. He brings the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who comes, destroys the temple, destroys Jerusalem, and takes the people out of the land of Jerusalem over to the land of Babylon. There they spend 70 years or so, and then they're allowed to come back. They come back to the promised land. And that's where Ezra picks up the beginning of Ezra, sees them coming back to build the temple. Then in the book of Ezra, we see them start building the temple, they get really excited, then persecution happens. That stalls the work for a number of years, and then we've seen that uh, God's prophets come along they encourage the people to start building the temple again, and so they then start building again. But even then, they're persecuted. They are um, people come against them, and we've seen last week that Darius, has uh, the king of Persia, has said that they can build the temple and actually wants to provide for the work. And so that's where we pick up today, where the decree of Darius we looked at last week, and now we look at what happens as a result of. The decrees that have gotten to the people, the people to the place that they're at now. And so my first main point this morning is that the temple is completed because of decrees. The temple is completed because of decrees. If you've got a church bulletin there, you can see on the back my main points this morning. And the first is that the temple is completed because of decrees. The temple is completed. They've taken a while to get there, but that's what happens in the passage we're looking at this morning. Ezra chapter 6. Reading from verse 13 through to verse 18, and we see in verse 15 that the temple is now completed. Verse 15 of Ezra chapter 6, page 466 of the Black Church Bibles, page 466. Verse 15 reads, The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. But whose decrees have helped them get here? Whose decrees? have helped this temple to be completed. Well, firstly, Darius' decree helped the temple to be completed, and that's the decree that we looked at last week. What did he decree? Well, he decreed that they could have freedom to build the temple, and he told people who were persecuting them to stay away from there and let them alone. He also provided for them by providing uh, for the sacrifices at the temple so that they would have provisions and also the work, the labour costs, Uh, the material costs of building the temple. He said that needed to be provided out of the royal treasury. And he also decreed that uh, people should be punished accordingly if they hindered the work of God at the temple. So Darius' decree helped complete the temple. Who else? Well, the decrees of Tatanai and Shathabozani They're the people who were initially saying, oh, we should shut this thing down. But instead, now, they're saying, okay, Darius has said so, so let's build this temple. And we see that in verse 13. We see in verse 13 the decree of Darius mentioned, but then also Tatanai and Bozani. It reads, verse 13, Then because of the decree King Darius had sent, Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Bozani and their associates carried it out with diligence. They're now saying, OK, let's do this. It's not a case of federal government saying something and local government not really going through with what the federal government wants to happen. No, the local government saying, OK, that's what the king wants. Let's do it. And so they're decreeing, yes, let's carry out what Darius has said. And they're carrying it out, it says there at the end of verse 13, with diligence. They're making sure that every part of his decree is upheld, even... Possibly that if anyone goes against him, uh, they will do what he has said in, back in verse 11 last week, where it said that, uh, anyone who, uh, changes this edict in verse 11, a beam is to be pulled from his house and he is to be lifted up and impaled on it. Tat and I and Shethabaz and I were probably saying, reminding people, stay away from that work. If you don't, we will impale you for hindering the work of God. So we've got the government on side, Darius and Tatanai and Shathabazani, also the elders are decreeing that the work should be completed as well. Verse 14 says So the elders of the Jews continue to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Edo. The elders that are there mentioned, they're still supporting the work. The leaders of God's people are saying, Let's get this temple going. We've got approval from the government. Let's make sure we carry it out. Often you can get local council approval for building something in particular, but then you, in your own laziness and procrastination, you don't actually go about uh, getting the structure up as quickly as you could. But that's not what the elders are doing. They're saying, we've got approval, let's go for it. Let's make sure that this temple is built. And so, it would be likely that Jeshua and Zerubbabel, they're not mentioned there, although Zerubbabel may have passed away or disappeared at this point, uh, but they're there making sure that the, the, the temple is being built. They're decreeing that the people should work on the temple. Who else? Well, the prophets are also decreeing, commanding people to work on the temple. It's not just the the leaders, the elders of the people, but also the prophets. Did you see them mentioned there in verse 14? So the elders of the Jews continue to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Iddo. Those prophets haven't given up. They haven't said, okay, well, now it's all going well. Uh, we'll leave them to it. No, they're still there, preaching away, saying, make sure you get this building completed. They're decreeing that people should be building the temple of God. And then who else? Who? What other decrees are mentioned here? Who else has decreed that the temple should go up? Well, we continue in verse 15. It says, they finished building the temple according to the command of God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus. Cyrus is still remembered. It's because of Cyrus that the people are allowed to come back in the first place. They were over in Babylon. They were stuck there. They weren't allowed to go back. But Cyrus, at the beginning of Ezra, in Ezra chapter 1, says, All right, you can go. Go build that temple. And so he's remembered. It's the decree of Cyrus that has helped this temple come about. Who else? Well, it says Cyrus and then Darius, who we've dealt with. And Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Who's Artaxerxes. He's obviously given a decree that helps complete this temple. He's actually a bit of a troublesome character to have back here because he's actually the grandson of Darius. And the temple is completed when, does it say, in verse 15? The temple was completed in the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. So why is Artaxerxes getting a mention here in verse 14? When he hasn't even been on the throne at all, he's the grandson. There's still Xerxes to come after Darius and then Artaxerxes will come onto the scene. But here it's said that the decree of Artaxerxes is something that has been helpful for them in completing the temple. Well, I don't think this is a mistake in the Bible. Uh, if I come across something that I think is a mistake in the Bible, I am very careful to... Uh, um, to think in that line of thought, it's more likely the mistake is with me and my interpretation of the Bible. Uh, it is what I think the author of Ezra, which is Ezra himself, uh, is doing here. He's basically summing up all those people, all those decrees that have been helpful for God's temple. And Artaxerxes was particularly helpful at maintaining the temple of God. And we see that in the next chapter, which we haven't read today. But I want you to just jump ahead to chapter 7, verse 21, where we read the words of Artaxerxes himself and see whether you think he is helpful for the temple of God. Verse 21, page 467 of the Black Church Bibles, 467, verse 21 of chapter 7. It says... Now I, King Artaxerxes, order all the treasurers of Trans-Euphrates to provide with diligence whatever Ezra the priest, a teacher of the law of God of heaven, may ask of you, up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of olive oil and salt without limit. Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of the God of heaven. Why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and of his sons? You are also to know that you have no authority to impose taxes, tribute or duty on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, temple servants or other workers at this house of God. Artaxerxes, therefore, with its decree, is definitely someone who's on side of the temple of God being maintained. His decree didn't complete the temple, but it's definitely making sure the temple stays up and that the temple stays going and sacrifices are offered there. And so I don't think it's wrong of Ezra to put Artaxerxes back here as when he's summing up how the temple has been completed and prospering under the leadership, the decrees of different leaders and particularly foreign pagan kings. So Artaxerxes' decree also helps with the temple. And then there's finally one other person One other person whose decrees help complete this temple. We've had Darius, we've had Tatanai and Shethabozani, the local guys. We've had the elders, we've had the prophets, we've had Cyrus, we've had Artaxerxes mentioned. Who else has decreed that the temple would be completed and help it prosper? I skipped over it in verse 14. I'll read from the beginning of verse 14. It says, so the elders of the Jews continued to prosper and Build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, descendant of Edo, they finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel. The word their command is the same word that's used for the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. The NIV is just uh, trying to make it flow nicely there. But it's the decree, the command of the God of Israel that has allowed this temple. To come into being and that's so true because of God's decrees this temple is completed. In fact none of the other decrees from those humans would have been possible if God had not said they could decree those things. Cyrus would not have been able to decree that the people go back to the land unless God had decreed that Cyrus could decree that. And it's the same with Darius, it's the same with Shethabozanai. And uh, Tatanai, it's the same with the elders, it's the same with the prophets. Unless God decreed that they should start commanding the people of God to do something, they would not have been able to do it at all. And so why is the temple of God there and completed? Because of the decrees of God. Because he has commanded that it should be so. And this is still the case today when we consider the temple of God as it is today. As Christians, temples of God are still completed by the decree by decrees, and particularly in a similar way that it happens here in the Old Testament. How are Christians building temples of God? Well, we are temples ourselves. God comes and lives within us, and the only reason we can become temples of God is because of decrees, because of commands of people and of God. Governments decreeing things can help us become temples of God, can make us temples of God, particularly when they command freedom of religion in a country and provide tax exemptions and things like that that we went through last week so that we hear the gospel One of the main reasons I know the gospel and that you may know the gospel in this country is because of the freedom of religion we have here, because of the decrees of the government that allow the gospel to be propagated in a way that it isn't in other countries. And so the temple of God that you are is partly because of the decree of the freedom of religion in this country. Also, church elders' decrees... Make sure that you become a temple of God. When church leaders, church elders, make sure that the gospel is at the forefront of the ministry of a church, it means that you hear the gospel and become a part of God's kingdom and become a temple, that God's temple is completed in you. And also preachers. Remember the Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets there, they were preaching? As people, as ministers preach today... You hear the gospel, and so you become a temple. It's because of their decree that you must be a temple of God. You must repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Because of those decrees, you become a temple of God. And also, it's because of the decree of God. If God doesn't decree that the government in Australia gives freedom of religion then it won't give freedom of religion. If God doesn't decree that the leaders of a church make sure the gospel is up front so that people can become temples of God by hearing the gospel, then they won't keep the gospel up front. They will not see that the gospel is shared of the church. And if God doesn't decree that preachers preach the gospel, they won't. The words that a preacher gives speaks are only spoken because God decrees that it is so. And the only reason that anyone, even when they hear the gospel, becomes a temple of God, that God comes and lives in them, is because God decrees that they become a Christian. It is only if God calls you to be a Christian that you can even become a Christian. God's decree that you will be one of his children is the only reason that you become a completed, a temple of God. And so we see this completing of the temple today is very similar to the way God makes you a temple today as well. So what happens next? They've completed this temple. Is that it? Do they all pack up and go home now that the temple is built? Does the decree of God end in making a temple and then that's it? That's all that happens? Does the decree of God in making you a temple mean that's all the decree of God is about? Is you becoming a temple and then that's all? No, my second main point this morning is that the completed temple produces results. The decrees of God and then the decrees of men produce the temple and then the temple produces results. What results do we see produced because this temple is completed? Well, one of the first result we see in this passage is that the temple of God, when it's completed, produces joy. We see that in verse 16 of Ezra chapter 6. Page 466, verse 16, it says, Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. They were happy because the temple was completed. They weren't sick of the place and like, now we've done it, let's just get on with our lives. No, they were happy. They were ecstatic about the fact that God's temple had been completed. And it's not surprising that they would be happy. They've gone through much hardship to get this structure back up. They had to travel a long way from Babylon through mostly desert to get there. And then when they got back, they've experienced hardship. They've experienced persecutions from the local people. They've experienced the tension of a letter being written to Darius to try and get the work stopped. And they continued working through that period, but it must have been a tense period where they're wondering what the king is going to do whether he's going to stop them by force. And then this decree comes back and says, no, you can continue and actually that I'm going to start providing for the work of this temple, I'm going to start providing out of the royal treasury, Darius says. And so now that they've completed it, there would have been such joy that their temple is now up. What else? What other result do we see there? not just joy. What else do they do? Verse 17, we see the completed temple of God produces sacrifices. Verse 17, for the dedication of this house of God, they offered a hundred bulls, 200 rams, 400 male lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, one for each of the tribes of Israel. It's interesting they're offering sacrifices here. They've done a good work. They've Build God's temple. Why should they be offering sacrifices? Sacrifices are for sin. They haven't sinned by building the temple, they've been doing a good thing. But they've recognised that they still are sinners. They've sinned each day that they've been building that temple, they've been sinning in many other ways. And they need to offer sacrifices so that God is propitious towards them. He, is, uh, he He's pleased with them because of the sacrifice of animals so that their sins are not counted against them. So the temple of God doesn't just produce joy, it also produces a little bit of sorrow, repentance, and they offer sacrifices for their sins. Third thing the completed temple produces is ongoing service of God. They don't all just go home after that. What do they do in verse 18? And they install the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem, according to what is written in the book of Moses. They don't just sit back and say, Alright, we've done the Lord's work. No, they know that there is other work that needs to be done. That the service of God must continue. And so they make sure that it is happening. The completed temple produces good works from these people. And how do they know what to do? How do they know what good works God requires? What's the last few words there in verse 18? According to what is written in the book of Moses. They dust it off, they get the book out, and they say, "Okay, what's the next step? How are we to serve God? We've got the temple. What do we do to continue pleasing God? And it's the same for us as temples of God as well. We are supposed to be producing results and similar results to what is going on here as well. If you want to know if you're a temple of God, if you are a Christian, then you should see similar results in your life. You should see, firstly, joy. Becoming a temple of God, becoming a Christian, should fill you with joy. To know that your sins are forgiven. That you will not suffer eternally in the next life should fill you with great joy. When you're depressed about something, this should be the source of your joy. Whenever I'm upset about something in particular, this is where I go to. The fact that I am now a temple of God fills me with joy. I should be in hell right now suffering for my sins. But instead I'm here and I know that in the future I will be in an even better place than Dromoyne. Some people seem to think Dromoyne a wonderful place to live but it is nothing compared to heaven. And I shouldn't be there. But because I am a completed temple of God, God living in me, I am not going to hell. I am going to heaven. And that is my source of joy whenever I'm troubled about anything. I'm filled with joy. And that should be the case for you too. Whenever you're upset about anything, your joy should come from the fact that you are a temple of God. Just like these Israelites rejoiced that they had the completed temple. You too should rejoice that you are a completed temple and that God lives in you should be a great source of joy. And if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I want to encourage you to become a Christian, become a completed temple of God because there's no other joy like it in the entire world. All the other pleasures that you can try and seek in this life, all those sensuous pleasures things you eat, the things you can watch on TV, the things that entertain you, they don't compete with the joy it is to be a completed temple of God. So I want to encourage you this morning, become a Christian. How do you do that? You repent of your sin. You acknowledge you're a sinner. And you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You accept it on faith. That at the cross he was suffering for you for your sins. He has taken the punishment for you. And so now, instead of being unrighteous, you are righteous in God's eyes. And if you do that right now, there is such joy for you to know that you will no longer be punished for your sins, but have eternal life instead. So the first thing you should see if you're a Christian is joy about being a temple. The second thing you should see is that Being a completed temple produces sacrifices. That's what we saw there. They started to sacrifice. And it's the same with us as Christians. We don't repent once and believe that Jesus died for us once and then that's it for the rest of our lives. No, in a Christian's life there is still sin. You still sin every day and so you still need to repent every day you should see ongoing repentance, ongoing sorrow over your sin, and ongoing belief that Jesus paid for that sin. Sometimes when I've sinned, I get so upset at myself, and I am angry with myself, and I repent to God, but then I've got to remember that God has forgiven me through Jesus Christ, that I continue to trust that God does not hold that sin against me because of Jesus' sacrifice. And that should be your experience as well. If you are a Christian, if you are a temple of God, there should be ongoing sacrifice in your life in the sense that you are ongoing in your repentance and you continue to believe that Jesus has paid for your sins. And then thirdly, what else should you see? You've seen joy, you've seen sacrificing in the sense of Jesus' sacrifice for you. There should be service of God. You don't become a Christian and then relax and say, I've done what God wants. I've become a Christian, and so now I can do what I want. No, there should be ongoing service of God. The Israelites made preparations so that God would be served, and you should be doing so in your life as well. You were created in Christ as a temple of God to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. You should be wanting to serve God. If you are a true temple of God, there should be good works coming out of your life. How do you know what good works to do? Well, just like the Israelites had a book to instruct them, you've got a book too. You've got the Bible. You want to know what God wants you to do as a Christian? Start reading your Bible. And start not just reading it, not just hearing the Word, but doing the Word. Obeying the Bible. That is what should be coming out of your temple, if you are a temple of God. So, do you know whether you are a temple of God? Do you know whether you're a Christian? Have you taken advantage of all the decrees that God has given and that humans have given so that you could hear the gospel right here, right now? You could understand that you need to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. So many people around the world, God has not decreed that they could hear that, but you have. Have you taken advantage of that? Have you repented and believed that Jesus died for you? Does being a temple of God, if you have repented and believed, fill you with joy? Does Christ's work at the cross continue to give you joy? Do you rejoice in that? Do you continue... To offer the sacrifice of repentance and trust in Jesus Christ. Do you continue to offer Jesus as a sacrifice for your sin? Do you continue to serve God by following God's book, by doing what it says? If that's you, if you've repented and believed, if you find joy in being a Christian, if you continue to sacri- offer the sacrifice of repentance, And faith, if you continue to serve God, then I want to encourage you this morning that you are a Christian. If you're seeing those things in your life, then you're seeing that you are a temple of God. The Bible affirms that that is the case, and I want you to take great delight in that. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you have decreed that we could hear your gospel. And by the decrees of men, you have allowed us to hear it. Lord, we pray that everyone in this room has taken advantage of those decrees of blessing and have repented of their sin and believed so that you have come to live in each one of the people gathered in this room. And Lord, we pray that we may see results of us being temples, of your Holy Spirit. We pray that we may see the results of joy in our lives. We pray that whenever we are upset or suffering in any kind of way, we may turn back to the thing that gives us the most joy, the fact that you loved us and sent your Son for us. And we pray that we may be ongoing in offering repentance and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins. And we pray that we may see works of service of you in accordance with what is written in your word. And we pray that when we see these things, we may take heart that we are your children and we have assurance that it is so. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.